Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. This summer has been an interesting one. The last several weeks, uh, we, uh, we maybe, like many other families, got into somewhat of a rhythm uh, as it pertains to, to summer. Uh, you have school and uh, the schedule that goes with school, and then you have this break uh, that they call summer break, which seems really exciting and promising in mid to late May. And then in mid-June, you're like, why do they do this every year, right? Um, I enjoy it. I do enjoy spending time with family, but to some extent, we get to a place where we don't always fully realize or recognize uh, how to fill some of this time or what we can do together as a family. You can only do uh, the same thing so many times, but we've gotten into a bit of a rhythm in the last few weeks uh, where the evenings that we are home, the kids do what they call night swim, which we have one of those bladder pools in the backyard where they go out and they splash around, they swim a little bit, and then we watch about an hour, about half of a Marvel movie, which I'm late to the game. I realize it's been like 10 years uh, since a lot of them have come out. But we start, uh, we started at the beginning and we've been kind of watching through and I've heard that for a while they're pretty entertaining. And so we're, we've been watching them and, and if it's a good one, I'll stay up. If it's not, uh, I take a, about an hour head start nap on uh, my evening uh, routine, which for, for some of you might be the same as me. I go to sleep, right, uh, when it gets dark out. And so if the movie's a good one, we'll sit and watch. And, and from time to time, they do keep my attention. I, I've been watching some of these uh, with, with great intensity and excitement. And I like the ones that have more to do with a developing story, not necessarily all the special effects and the battles. That kind of stuff is not as interesting to me. But I like the stories, and I like it how they unfold and how they reveal how a, a missionary or missionary a superhero came about, maybe they are, maybe that was a Freudian slip, right? A, a superhero came about, what their backstory is, why they are the way they are, and how they gain or how they obtain the identity that they have. And that some of them have secret identities, right? They, they're unknown to the general uh, public who they are. I'm having a couple of things here. I don't know if you guys can hear that or not, so I'm going to try to fix this. But they, some of them, you don't know who they are. Uh, they could just be walking around next to you, and, and then all of a sudden they, they spring into action. And others, they, they, they know, you know who they are. They're, they're very open about their identity. It's not necessarily a secret. But one thing I do recognize is I understand or I recognize this concept of identity within the context of the superheroes. I see some similarities or some things that are uh, very high importance to note within the context of our society. Identities are important. Our, our identity, so to speak, is important. To, to, to define identity, it's the fact or, or the be, uh, fact of being of who we are, what a person is, or identity refers to our sense of who we are as individuals or as members of a social group. Identity also refers to our sense of how others may perceive or label us. They're a place of belonging, a place of finding meaning, often a place or a source of purpose. And as we look specifically at these guides to helps to holy living, we're on week five, the third week of and the final week of this, this towards self portion. And there's a recognition specifically that in this 
this conversation in the context of our culture that identity or finding one's identity in everything that we do and everything that we are has become a difficult thing to do outside of the will and the reflection and the guidance of the God who created you and created me. In fact, the society we live in today has, has perverted the idea of what an identity is and how we define ourselves to many different understandings, many different schools of thought. The, the guide itself reads like this. Follow the teachings of scripture regarding gender identity and sexual conduct. And I wanna say this right now, kind of an elephant in the room, please right now do not put up the defenses, right? If you're sitting in the room now and you have a, a specific understanding, maybe these are buzz words or buzz phrases for you, please don't just put the blinders on or put up some kind of defense, but please in this moment, be open and cognizant of what God might be wanting to say to you today. I am in no way coming up here and sharing an agenda. I'm in no way coming up here and sharing my thoughts in any way. What I am doing is expressing, as I often do, or as I do uh, every week, is expressing what the Word says and allowing each of us to listen to how the Spirit might be leading and guiding us. And so it could be for you today that God has something new for you to experience, something for you to know about identity, and Scripture has many to, much to say about it and many to say to each one of us. And so my heart, my prayer, my desire, my goal for us today is to hear what God has for us, to know what it means to have a true identity in Him rooted in the one who created us, who loves us, not in the beliefs or the ever-changing beliefs of the world. Sadly, the origin and the purpose of one's true identity and the gift of personal intimacy have both been tainted by the selfish message of the world. The selfish message that we hear every day. We, we've created image or our own images of ourselves and in, in humanity by the values that we deem important and by suppressing the values that don't meet the things that we want or the things that we desire, the things that we deem worthy. Often they're self-pleasing, in fact, we've walked away from the identity that God intended for us. In Genesis chapter 1 in the creation, chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind, humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just for a moment, take, take this, this second for just a moment and think specifically about the world we live in and the identity that many, maybe even you, have, have brought for yourself or have, have, have established for yourself. Is it one that reflects the character of God? Does what we see around us reflect the fact that we are created in the image of a holy God? Now, let me just say this. It might be difficult to make that comparison because maybe you don't fully understand who God is. Let's define him for a minute. God is holy. And I'm going to ask for a new mic, actually. Where's that handheld? I'm going to go with it today because I believe that there's a...
something that he just gives out and, and just says, okay, good luck. I hope you, you, uh, you, you receive this and experience it. No, he does so. He forgives us, but he does so as a response to our sincere confession of our sins. So that mercy isn't something that's just given out to whoever might desire it, but instead it is a response to you and I saying, God, I realize I am a sinner, and therefore I come to you asking for your mercy and your grace. God is faithful. He's faithful and can be trusted always. He keeps his promises in all ways, in all areas, in all situations. And then finally, God is unchanging. He is certainty. So our future is secure. Our eternity is secure because we serve. We know we were created by a God who is all-powerful and unchanging at the same time. But here's the problem and the sad, the, the sad reality. We as human people, fallen and broken, born into a broken world, pre-salvation, have walked away from this identity that God has called us to, that God has granted us, that God has given us this gift of. And the outcome of this long walk can be seen in many different places. One in particular is in how our identity has been blurred by how we have created ourselves in our own image and therefore created God in our image as well. At the same time, in fact, this guide of helps to holy living addresses this wrongful understanding of personal identity and impure conduct. Paul, in many cases, in many of his writings, the Apostle Paul addresses the very practical issues that are going on within the context of the churches that he planted, that the churches that he's visited, the churches that he has led. And in those, there are very, there, there are very huge and, and, and important universal truths and principles that aren't just for the select few he spoke to in that time, but they are still appropriate and maybe even more appropriate for our church, for our culture today. Paul gets to the point very quickly uh, as he talks to a similar audience of the church in Corinth. He writes two letters to them, first and second Corinthians, and he recognizes the issue of the day and he addresses it. He sees how they have veered from the recognition, recognition of their true identity in God and have decided to live a different life. He recognizes where they are, because certainly many of the Gentile converts didn't even realize the expectation of what it meant to follow God, and so he was therefore coming in their ignorance and sharing the truth. At the same time, he recognized there were some that knew the truth but chose to live lives that honored self rather than honored God. He recognized the outcome of this impure lifestyle, this wrongful declaration of identity, and he said, no, this is not the way. God has an intention, a joy, a hope for you. Let me share it with you so you might live into it. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, 20 through, verse 12 through 20, it reads like this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not, but I will not be mastered by anything, you say. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that we that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And Paul is reaching out specifically to this audience in recognition of where they're at. If you're to read this and just kind of sit down for your daily reading and you read this specific passage, there are some, there are some things within the context of this passage that probably don't uh, jump out or make sense uh, in, in a very obvious way. In fact, many of the things that are stated within the context of this passage actually don't even seem to, to link together. They don't seem like they go together. Paul's train of thought here is one that's it, it's, it's jumping around for us if we we're to look at it here. But the, the, the reality is this. He's sharing specific slogans that would have been known or would have been understood in the time. And we, as uh, 2023 uh, readers, are reading someone else's mail, so to speak. As we read this mail, we do so in the context of recognizing that there are no quotation marks available for us in this, so we don't actually know exactly what Paul is quoting as a slogan of the day and what he's sharing from the truth that God has placed upon his heart. And so when we read this, we put together an understanding of saying, okay, these things are pieced together, they, they go together, and there must be an obvious train of thought from start to finish, so therefore we take each piece, we take each part, we link them together through the leading of the Spirit, and we understand His truth. It's obvious that some within the context of this church recognize that because prostitution was legal at the time, that it was probably or still okay for many of them to practice. In fact, in that time, there were converts that were, that were joining the church that were, were still sleeping with uh, prostitutes because they thought it was okay or they thought it was part of their spiritual act. Of, of, of recognition and understanding of how they were to live their life. You see, Mediterranean society had great restrictions for females, but for males, there, were almost, there was almost none. And so when they, in, in essence, in that time, put their stock in a political ideology or in a governmental practice or law, they recognized it fell short of the law or the intention of God. I am, I am an American. I celebrated my freedom uh, a week ago, and I do that every single day when I pray, when I embrace this time of us coming together, but I'm a Christ follower first. And the law of God and the, and the, and the uh, direction, the call of God is higher than the law of the land. Here we see that sexual immorality was one of the main problems that Paul was attempting to try to regularly address with the Gentile converts, because for many of them, they didn't even know that it was wrong. It wasn't even on their radar that there was anything wrong with the practices that they had. And if you back up for just a moment, we see that this section is triggered from verse 9 through 11. And 9, it says, uh, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul literally had to come out and say, Okay, you can't inherit the kingdom of God if you are living a lifestyle that honors other. If you are living a lifestyle that says, Okay, this is okay. 
He goes through a, a, a measured list of specific things. And then down in verse 11, he says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In essence, he says, Do not be deceived, but you were washed, you were made new, you are a new creation when you come to Christ. You live differently as a result of it. And essentially, Paul demonstrates a key, to, a key step to embracing humanity's discrepancy with God's intended identity. The first step, this is the most important thing, is to recognize where you are. Where you are right now. And the point is this, to discover God's intended identity for your life, you must acknowledge your current identity. To acknowledge where God wants you to go or the identity he has for you, you must, you must first recognize where you are right now. My parents live uh, north of, of Columbus in Mansfield, and we went to visit them. We actually have gone to visit them a couple of times in the last couple of months. And it was fun to go up and visit them. Both times we stopped at uh, an outlet mall that is just north of Columbus. Apparently uh, we needed stuff. I didn't know that, but we stopped at this outlet mall. And the first time we stopped, it's probably the third or fourth time that we've been there. And typically when we get off on this exit, I've got it down, right? I, I don't like exits where I don't know exactly where things are because I get in the wrong lane and then I get real upset and my kids have a great time. And, and you know, that's, you, we've all been there, right? So I, I can be honest here. So we, we get off on this exit and I just go the normal route. I turn, I go in the parking lot, I park in the normal place that I normally park. We go in, we do some shopping, we get a pair of shoes and whatever else, and then we, uh, and then we leave. The second time we go, this is the fourth or fifth time ever, second time this year, my wife says, as we're beginning to get off, why don't we get off and go the other way and park on the other side because there are places we haven't shopped on the other side. And at this time, I didn't let on. And in fact, I'm telling her right now too. I had no idea that we hadn't shopped other parts of the outlet mall. In fact, I don't know what's there. I don't know what part we've gone through. I, I'm pretty good with directions as far as north, south, east, west, but as far as when you get on the road, especially if there's a curve or a bend anywhere, not the guy that you want being the navigator. So when I, when I get off, I, I turn the other direction as instructed. I find a place to park. We go in and I think, man, these are the same stores that we've already done. Apparently they're not. We go to a new place, but I found something that has given me some navigational skills. There's one of those maps in there, right? The, the tall map where you can look at it and you can see where you are. And as I looked through, I was able to recognize, okay, here is where we normally go. These are new stores, so she's not lying to me or trying to punk me or whatever, I don't know. And I, I look and I see, okay, this, this little spot, which you've probably seen at a mall or at an amusement park, it says, you are here. And what God is attempting to try to do through the writings of Paul here is attempt to try to establish for the church he is writing to, look, you are not where you need to be, but you are here. And this you are here mentality, this you are here statement recognizes that God sees you where you are. He sees you maybe how you came to church today or how you tuned in today. He sees you where you are in this moment. And he says, I love you so much. I've got something for you. If you find your identity in me, I love you so much, I won't leave you there. You are here, but God has more for you. 
God has so much more that he wants to do in and through you. And the identity of a society uh, in this specific instance and certainly in the society we live in is it doesn't measure up to the image of God. It doesn't measure up to what God has for us, not because we're, he wants us to do something else, but he wants us to simply surrender to him, recognizing that he has something greater for us. I ask the question, where are we today? Not just as a society, but where are we as a church? You see, Paul didn't write this to a town. He wrote it to the church in Corinth. If he were to write a letter to us, what would it say? As the passage moves on, we read specifically in, in verse 12 and beyond, he addresses the falsehoods, that there are no restrictions. He takes these slogans like, everything is permissible for me. And I've heard this misused uh, within the context of the church and outside of it. Maybe you have as well. And there's slogans that we hear today. You've heard slogans, I'm sure. Some on TV, have it your way. Anybody heard that one before? Just do it. That's another one. Maybe you heard this one, love is love. Anybody heard that? Can I tell you, there are slogans around us all the time. And the point of these slogans in many cases is to press an agenda. Some is to find a loophole. And that's specifically what the Corinthians were doing at this time. They were trying to find a loophole where they could continue to do the things that they wanted to do and still have this, this uh, what was coming to them in eternity mentality. They wanted to have fire insurance, but at the same time, they wanted to do the things that, that gave them self-gratification. But Paul uses a simple strategy. He uses a gentle strategy. He sees them where they're at. He recognizes the place where they are. He, he recognizes the, the contradiction that they have. And instead of yelling at them and shouting at them, he claims, a, he claims their understanding of them and he qualifies it. He sees this as an opportunity to show love and direct them towards truth. Paul accepts this. Certainly he, he's reminded of, or we're reminded of, of, of this concept of what it means to please God. Augustine said, love God and do what you want. And when you hear that, you might think, wow, he's kind of giving permission for whatever. But if you truly love God, if you, if you kind of tease that out, if you truly love God, what you want will be what he wants. If I say, love God and go out and do what you want, I'm not saying, okay, you have a free will, you do have free will to do whatever you want. I'm not saying you have free will to do whatever you want. I'm saying that when you love God, it will direct how you respond in life. Another slogan, I'll not be mastered by anything. Paul understands their thinking. He knows the secular wisdom that they have. He doesn't take pride in it. Instead, he pushes forward. Verse 13 talks about this food for the stomach and stomach for the food. And none of these things seem to link together until Paul draws it all in and says, look, this, is a, this isn't just a physical thing, but this is a spiritual issue. A spiritual response is necessary. The thought is God is going to destroy our body. In verse 13, God is going to destroy our body, so who cares what we do with it? Well, Paul says there's something very important to note here, that the body will pass away that we physically have, but God still redeems it. He still makes us holy. And in fact, the second point is this. Our body is a gift from God intended for his glory, not ours. And so as we move through this and the recognition of what Paul's attempting to try to communicate, we recognize that we can do whatever we want. Food for the body, body for the food. We can make the decisions we want to. Not everything is, you know, everything is permissible. All these things can make sense. But if we look at it all the way down to Augustine's thoughts, if we truly love God, then we'll use our body, the gift that we have, as a way to glorify him rather than as a way to glorify ourselves. 
as the, the passage continues in verse 14, we see that, he, he, that God raises us up that members of the church of Christ himself, he takes the, the, the body and the soul, he brings them together into this next life. And that we as the members of the church, we are united specifically as, as a body, but at the same time, we recognize that some were being united in sin, united with a prostitute. And this never word here recognizes the importance of saying we should not be united, not just with a prostitute, but with any sin. Because ultimately, symbolically, any sin that we do separates us from God. And Paul is here taking the issue at hand, this sexual immorality, is saying some within the church have chosen to do this. But we, as we make up the church, as Christ is the head, and we belong to him, we should live our lives and, and use the, the tools, the gifts, our body as one to be able to glorify him. So when the members of the body of Christ unites with se in sexual immorality, that one also unites the church and Christ into sin. What he was saying at this point is when you sin, the sins that you do, that's united within the context of the body because you are a member of the body. Not just sexual sin, but all sin. You take Christ with you when you sin. You take your brothers and sisters in Christ with you when you intentionally sin. As the passage goes on and talks about coming together in, in one flesh and the bond that takes place through that. But we also see in verse 17, and I want to read 17 once again. It says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You see, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they take Christ's spirit with them wherever they go and whatever they do. And the point is this, what a Christ follower does with their body impacts the entire church. Let me say that again. What a Christ follower, a, a follower of Christ, part of the body of Christ, a brother and sister in Christ does with their body impacts the entire church. And this happens with, or, or, or makes sense with all things. Anything that we do with our mind, anything that we do with the gifts that God has given us, the tools that we have impacts the church, the rest of the church, and impacts those that are not even followers of Christ. In my time, I, I've, I've had a, a, an aquarium or two, and, and my family will tell you that I used to have several aquariums at a time. And nobody needs five aquariums. I get that, but I was there at one point. And I remember specifically one time I had an aquarium. It was a healthy one. It, was, it had a lot of community fish in it, had all these fish in there. I even had some real plants in there. Most of the time I do artificial, but this one had uh, real plants in it. It was such a beautiful aquarium. And a friend of mine, he was, he was getting out of the business, so to speak. He didn't want to have uh, an aquarium anymore and said, hey, I, I've got a couple fish. Do you want them? And I remember him giving me a couple of fish. And there was one specifically. It was an angel fish. I mean, come on. What could go wrong with an angel fish, right? It was beautiful fish. And I put it in. I, I did the, the steps to where you put it in. And I put it in. I acclimated into this new aquarium. And it was in there. And I noticed after getting it in there that the water got a little bit cloudier. And I noticed as time went on that it, it looked kind of sickly. The other fish began to look sickly. And after a couple of weeks, every fish in there had died. And I found out that that specific fish had a disease or some kind of disease that it brought in there. And when it got in there, it got in with the rest of the fish. And as they swam around in their own toilet, so to speak, they all were infected and it killed them all. 
and I look specifically at what the Spirit wants to do within the context of the church and the way the Spirit moves, the way the Spirit works. And oftentimes what happens is Satan sees that and he places a target on it. He attempts to try to move forward in destructive ways and sometimes he does so through working through one or more members of the church. And as he does that, he brings forth his own way of bringing this pollution into the church only to destroy, to tear down, and to pollute every single other member. What a Christ follower does with their body impacts the entire church. And finally, as the passage continues, we see in verse 18 something that's very familiar. If you were here last week, he starts just like this. And Paul must have been reading a little bit from, uh, from, from Joseph's story. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Not wait around and, and, and maybe things will get better. Or not, okay, well, a little bit's all right. No, flee. Get away. Run away. Get away from the situation. Get away from the temptation. Paul sees another slogan here, all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And Paul's using the word body here to mean both physical and spiritual. He's recognizing the body of Christ and the physical body. And the phrase here, the body is a temple in verse 19, sees both physical and spiritual as well as individual and communal. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee to us of what is to come, a foretaste of glory divine. He's God's seal of ownership for the Christian. Get this, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. God loves you, he loves me so much that he defines our identity by giving of himself through the person of Jesus. While we're free by virtue of the gift of free will, the last point is this, Christians are not free agents. Yes, you're free to make decisions, but you are not a free agent because when you join the family, you are part of the family. You are part of God's holy word. You are part of all that we are. But Christians are not free agents. Instead, we are part of of the body together. And so what does this look like? I'm going to walk through these fairly quickly. Identity in Christ. This is quite different than finding one's identity in the world. You'll probably see that as we go. It's not selfishness, but full of hope. It's full of joy. It's full of peace. The first one is this. You are a child of God. All of these are ameners. You don't have to hold your amen to the end if you don't want to, but every one of them is an amener. You are a child of God. John 1:12 reads like this, but to all who have raised him, those who believe in his name, he get, he has given the right to become God's children. The second one is this, you are empowered by God. You're not just he doesn't just say okay, you you you're a follower now, good luck. I hope you figure it out. No, you are empowered by God. In fact, John 15:5 says, "I am the vine." This is God speaking. "I am the vine and you are the branches." The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. 
You know, I see that imagery. Maybe you've seen that imagery before too with a tree or perhaps a vine where you see a branch coming off of it. That branch is worthless if it's severed. That branch is worthless if it's not attached. There is no health and in fact it will eventually die. But the empowerment we have comes from God and God alone. The third one, you are filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which means that God doesn't just say, hey, I want to empower you and, and give you opportunity to be part of my redemptive work, but I'm going to give you gifts so that you might be able to be part of that. And in our primary passage today, we read in verse 19 and 20, it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore, glory or glorify God with your body. Number four, you are part of God's family. You are part of God's family. You know, family is a, is a, in our culture, it's a difficult thing because sometimes when we think about family, we think about the family we have, the family we are part of or the family we are part of, it's not always a, a great situation or, or a great culture to be part of or to be in. It's not always a great environment that we want to run home to and be excited to be part of, but when we join or we're part of God's family, while there will be ups and downs, it is perfect because the head of that family is a holy God. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are, you are Christ's body, and each of you is a member of it. Number five, and this, this is the, the most impactful and, and, and important to me, you are made new. You are made new. It doesn't say you earned your way by doing the right things or saying the right things or having the right attendance at church. No, you are made new because God does the work in and through you. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, so then if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. Number six, you are all in. This is an all-in decision. This is an all-in effort. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's an all-in moment, right? And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who, lived, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then finally, the seventh one, you are a reflection of the king. You know, if we look just like the rest of the world, what, what hope would others have to want to follow or be part of Christ's church? You are a reflection of the king. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, all attributes as we reflect the king, the creator of all. When I was in, in high school, I went on uh, two mission trips back to back to, to Jamaica. And on these mission trips, we, we were able to do different types of missions. We got to go and, and visit an orphanage. We, we were able to, to, um, to, to build and to, to work on, to do construction on some churches and some different projects in the area in which we were serving. There was time there we got to worship alongside uh, the, the nationals that were there. And it, it, was, a, it was an amazing eye-opening experience. I remember the first year that we went, there was one church specifically that we went to go do a project uh, with. We were helping pour some, some stairs, they had concrete stairs for them. 
And I, I remember the timing and how things were set up. The way that they did it wasn't with a, a cement truck or anything along those lines. But instead, they'd bring in a, a wheelbarrow and they'd bring in the supplies. We'd mix it right there, actually on the roof of the building, and then we would pour it into the forms. And this went well in the morning. We were able to work through the, the project that we had. But in the afternoon, we had a, a water shortage issue. And so what we found ourselves with was a dry pile of gravel and, and concrete and some other things that they mixed just right there on the roof. And I, I remember thinking, we're, we're not going to get to this project if we don't have water. And time went on, and the next day we were supposed to go back and said, hey, we still have a water shortage. We're not going to be able to do this. And we were able to visit the next day after it rained. And there on the roof was a big bump, a big concrete bump. And I thought to myself, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with this because now, uh, you know, there, there's not necessarily just a bunch of jackhammers laying around. There's not any way to, to eradicate this issue. Now their church is just going to have this big bump in it. And actually, it really bothered me. In fact, throughout that school year, even, the next years, I went back to school. I was a junior that year and came my senior year. I, we, we ended up going back again. But I remember thinking about, man, I can't believe that we just left that like that. It really bothered me. And the next year, we went back. And it was interesting to note that we were able to go to that same church again. And we went to that church, and we found that the other projects had been done and that it was just, it was an amazing sight of how beautiful that church was, how good everything looked, how they had put a new roof on, and the project we were working on had been completed. And I remember thinking, I want to go up and see what happened with that bump. And the roof at the time was actually the second floor now. They had put a roof over top of that, and so they had this bump in there. And I, went, I remember going in there, and it was a place where they would do class. They'd do Sunday school. And I went in, and I recognized that they had all the chairs lined up around the bump. And the bump had now become the platform from which the teacher would instruct the students. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, I can't believe how God was able to transform something that we thought was going to be just a, a monumental fail into a platform for him to be able to allow his gospel to be shared. Can I tell you, we live in, an, in a society right now that recognizes identity as a colossal fail. But God wants to, to reveal himself in and through us as broken vessels sometimes, as those who struggle in life as well, who have to live in this same world as everybody else. He gives us opportunity to be his hands and feet, to be his mouthpiece, to be his image bearer as those who reflect his identity. And so how then shall we live? It's found somewhat in the second portion of the second primary passage today. I'm just going to read it real quick. It's from Colossians, 1 Colossians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You might not even have to turn the page. Starting in verse 17, it says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whoever, in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the, ch all the churches. And then jumping down to verse 21, it says, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to the faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who, has, who was free when called is Christ's slave. 
You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And the recognition here isn't to say that we shouldn't try to work hard and, and to do things for God and to move up in, that, in, the, in the way that he might call us to do so. The recognition is to, to recognize that God calls us to a place. Not to run away and hide like we talked about last week, but instead to stay, to, to be in the place where God has called you. In fact, the last point, to grow where you're planted. Because God might be wanting to take you in the situation you're in and use you in a way that you never imagined. Perhaps you're walking through a storm right now because you can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose how you respond to them. Another man of wisdom this week shared a thought with me, just something to kind of give perspective. The storm, the situation you're walking through right now is just one second of eternity. God's using it. God's moving. Let him identify your character, your nature, your identity. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we do come to you now in recognition that you created us on purpose and with a purpose. God, as Paul writes these words, he does so pleading with a church that is struggling with their identity, struggling with the impurity, uh, particularly even sexual impurity in their own bodies, God. But you have a greater call for us. And what may seem regular or okay or just common within the context of the society we now live doesn't mean that it's okay for God's people. God, may we not follow just the laws of the land, but maybe we see the elevated laws of your goodness, not necessarily just because you want to take all the fun away from us, God, but because you want to lead us, guide us, protect us, draw us close to yourself. I pray, God, that in all of it, that we would recognize, Father, that you are orchestrating an opportunity for us to experience real and lasting unconditional love to experience you here on earth and experience a, a, a slice of heaven here on earth and to be a slice of heaven here on earth for others and at the same time to live in eternity forever for you, with you. God, may our identity be found in Christ, in nothing else but the risen Savior. We thank you, God, for the way that you move. We thank you, God, for the way that you are present in our lives. We thank you, God, for the way that you have unleashed the Holy Spirit so that we might know and grow in you and in the truth. May we go from this place today with the understanding and the expectation, God, that your spirit will lead us and guide us and provide opportunity for us to know you and grow in you. God, I pray for, for our church and I pray for the church. May we live set apart from the world. May we live set apart and holy because we cling to you and to your goodness. Thank you, Father, for all you do. Thank you for your word, for your truth, for your love. In your son's name we pray and all of us said together, amen. Let me read this benediction just as you go. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, once again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a new creation. Go this week with God. He'll go with you. God bless you. You're dismissed.
Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.